0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise. Oh hi. I'm Andrew Palmer with Rocksteady University. And I want to welcome you wonderful parents and these beautiful new freshmen to our amazing school. A school that kids are dying to get into. A place where your kids can learn higher education. Safety is our highest priority. Your children are going to find friends. Friends that last a lifetime. What's got you waiting? Join us at Rocksteady University. And don't forget, bring it back. Welcome to a special episode of the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking about the film Rock Steady Row. I mentioned this over on the yojimbo episode that we just put out and this is another take on the yojimbo story highly recommended this film is about a college student a freshman who comes to school to find a group two groups actually of frats that are uh in an illegal bicycle trade let's say and all kinds of great stuff happens really recommend this film i mentioned in the interview that this one the uh both the Audience Award and first place at the Slamdance Film Festival this year, well-deserved. So you're going to hear from Trevor Stevens, who is the director of the film, and Bomani Story, who is the writer from the film, and let's go ahead and roll that interview. How did you decide to get into show business? This is Bomani.
1: I um, I actually didn't know that it was something I wanted to do until I was about 17, 18, and it was at the end of my high school um, run. I was too busy kind of like doing stuff in high school. Like I was, my grades were poor and like, and I was getting suspended for fighting and stuff like that. And then like, I don't know, like I kept, uh, my counselor kept putting me in this film class. Then I was just like, I don't want to fight and get suspended anymore. (laughs) You know, it's like, I kind of discovered my love for film and I was just like, I won't, you know, and my mom was like, maybe you should pursue that. And my grades were too low to kind of go uh, to a college. So I decided to go. I discovered like a community college. And then I was like, I did that um, to kind of get good grades. And then I transferred into USC um, and started really learning about film there and watching movies. Um, And after that, like, it was kind of just like history. I kind of came obsessive
0: with it, you know, and it kind of changed my life. Was there one movie in particular that you remember that really you said, this is what I want to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's always like childhood movies that you just see in passing, but you are, that affect you, but you're not really like, Oh, like, you know, I want to make movies. So it's like, to me, it's like, I have the childhood movies. I left a giant impact, which was like, you know, to society and Forrest Gump and like boys in the hood. But like the movies that like, maybe be like, Oh, playing with form and stuff like that was this movie called, um, ACE in the hole by Billy Wilder. And this other movie called *The Fountain* by Darren Aronofsky.
0: Trevor, same question for you. What got you interested in movies?
2: I started out as a ten-year-old doing competitive uh, ballroom dance, and so that was where I first got the the bug of entertainment. I would do West Coast swing and uh, Latin dancing uh, as a child from like ages like ten to twelve, and uh, after that stint, um, that kind of naturally uh, led me into doing. Plays with like musical theater and things that incorporate my dance background. And um, I had a friend who, you, you know, uh, did a lot of acting and stage. So it, it kind of was a slow transition that way when I got out of dance and I did acting. And then as I started to act, it led to the possibilities of going on auditions. And, um, you know, I remember uh, auditioning for really crazy stuff at a really young age. Like I auditioned for Shark Boy and Shark Boy and Lava Girl and Young Dexter for the show Dexter. You know, it was crazy. And I started, um, getting a manager and agent. And then it was on like the the low budget sets or like the student films where, you know, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just a payday. I got to actually ask questions. I got to be like, what's going on behind the scenes? You know, what's this light meter doing? What's that? What's this? What's, you know, what's all that? And, uh, they were so nice to me and they're, they're very, you know, they woke me in with open arms. Sometimes I let it come in on days where I wasn't even supposed to be in just to, you know, come check things out and, I became fascinated and I was at age 12. And so, um, I knew pretty much at that age that like there was nothing on God's earth that I wanted to do more than this. I, I I didn't, I don't, I don't think I realized that it was a job. I mean, you're a kid, you're not thinking about it. And, you know, you're so focused on the, the the obvious, you know, and I, I loved entertaining. I loved being in front of a huge crowd. I had to be. It was like part of my DNA structure. That's why. Dance and, and acting was so important to me. But once I realized what this was, I realized, oh shit, you can, you can tell stories. Like uh, this is what I had to do. And so I picked up, um, my dad's, uh, DV camera and, uh, I went to work. I enlisted every person in the neighborhood I could and I started making childhood home movies, all action based and all, uh, you know, of course, at that point in time, like the story was, story was very rough and it was mainly just about, you know, uh, using, Airsoft guns and being a next action hero, if you will. But as I got into uh, high school, you know, the films grabbed form and I actually was in the same advanced multimedia class that Bomani was in. We went to the same high school, except he was four years ahead of me. So he essentially ghosted out of that uh club by the time i even came to be in that club but as i was getting to that we weirdly enough met around the same time we both had a mentor in the city who introduced us to each other and we had no idea each other existed we never met each other in high school but he sort of took me under his wing uh and you know uh mentored me with another friend of ours and it was uh a nice pairing that we got to meet up and we ended up doing this like homegrown uh, commercial contest together. And that's where we like first worked together and we won this huge check for like a thousand, which at the time was a big deal to us. Um And that was for like the Omnitrans bus company. And from then on, we've been working together ever since. Well, tell me about some of those
0: other earlier projects before you guys decided to make a feature. If
2: I had a, a really quick way of summing it up, I would say trial and error. And I mean that in the best way possible because, you know, there was nothing, there was nothing, and I repeat, there was, well, with, with the exception of porn, there was nothing that we did not try. Yeah. We did music videos, commercials, um, we've shot so many different, like, you know, local government type stuff, you know, PSAs, um, you know, short form, um, extended short form, you know, really short form, I mean, like, we had the chance to tackle a lot of ground and we were lucky enough to have, you know, a lot of family support and city support. So we not only did projects for the city and, and, and you know people in the city, but we also, um, you know, were able to borrow them for a lot of our projects. And so there's this nice, nice turnaround there. Yeah. And so Bomani jumping in and, you know, another one of our
1: things we, we did. So we did like um, this thing called the 48-hour film festival. Um, and I think was it three years in a row we did three it? Years in a row we yeah. It. We we did it three years in a row. And <laughs> the first two were like, first one was really not good. <laughs>
2: uh, we were, we were about
1: yeah. About, the second one was like, it was easy. It kind of had a genre going for it, but it was, you know, it was still very, still like, yeah, still rough around the edges. Um, and then we did a third one where we really all kind of just like, got into it and we're just like, okay, listen, we're not going to do something that we think is like, cool. We're going to do what we, what we want to do, what we think is cool. Um, which was a, a Western. Um, and so like, we figured out how to accomplish doing a Western in 48 well, hours, well, you know,
2: this, this is Trevor. To, to happen real quick, um, just for uh, uh, any, any, you know, viewers, anyone listening that does not know what the 40 hour film contest is essentially, it is uh, a contest where you're given a slip of uh, both a genre and a quote and a prop um, on a Friday afternoon. And you have to have a completed film by that following Sunday evening. Um, I mean, fully complete. You have to have written it, shot it, and delivered it. Um, like a short like five to seven minute film uh, in that time span. And you don't know what the genre is going to be until you get that card. Uh, and that's what it is so tough about. That's why you imagine jumping into it for the first time, a lot of times it just comes out to kind of incoherent nonsense because, you know, especially we were the first year we were brought in as a group. And so we didn't really have we were just kind of helping out. And it was like talking to a huge bunch of people and they're just people that are all on a different page. So it took a whole first night of no sleep of, you know, deliberation just to get anything going. So we learned our lesson there and, and had a very compact in the second year. And we had a film and it was, you know, concise and coherent. And then I think we really got our stride in the third year because what we realized was, you know what, we're going to make this a Western no matter what. We're just going to, we're just going to, you know, um, spin this with another genre for whatever we get. So if it, it literally, if it was a comedy, we're going to make a Western comedy. If it was, you know, um musical, we're going to make a Western musical, if, or, you know, and we were thinking, just, just watch. We get the weirdest thing. And I forgot what it was. There was like the one genre that we just couldn't quite spin. And so if that happens, you can pull a wild card genre. It's like your last straw but that's almost more dangerous because those genres get into really weird territory. And what we got was doppelganger. So we got, we had to do a doppelganger <laughs> oh, yeah. western. Yeah. Uh, and it led to a pretty interesting tale, but whatever it was ended up working. Cause we won our division of, free, um, of a 40 hour film festival. And uh, we were sent to Miami film yeah. festival to, to show it off.
1: Now me and Trevor always have like a
0: thing where we're just like, we got to get back to Miami. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get back we'll, to Miami. We'll always have Miami. Yeah. So tell me about the origins of rock steady row. Uh, first off, when did you guys decide this is the time we're going to make a feature or did the story come first and you said this has to be a feature?
2: Elements of both. I mean, me and Bumani already had a, a working relationship. I mean, uh, Bumani himself is a writer director, um, but I've always been able to work with him um, as a writer. I mean, we've always had a very similar track mind when it comes to stories. So, you know, we've already had the rapport of being able to um, work together on a couple different shorts in that capacity. Um, but I actually, I, I told him, uh, this was probably around the end of college, uh, maybe middle end of college. Um, for me, um, I came to Mamani, I was just like, yo, like, I really want to do a a spaghetti Western in a college setting. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I told him that it was kind of like the origin of just saying like, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, and I, and I told him kind of just a general layout of the type of thing I want to do. And he was just like, okay. I can do you one better. And he he came back with me with this, like, you know, he's like, I have a lot of tales from college that need to be told in a peculiar way. And um, a lot of them dealt with like, you know, his his bike being stolen on college campus, and the things that he personally uh, witnessed firsthand. And from there, uh, we sat down and kind of just like brought stuff to the table that we appreciated. It it happened to be that I was a huge um, Sergio Leone fan and I actually showed him fiscal Mm -hmm. dollars and he was Huge kurosawa fan, and he showed me Yojimbo, and that's where we kind of were like, Yeah, we gotta infuse, uh, infuse like our, our lives with these, with these
1: movies. Yeah. Trevor had, you know, he was always just like, he had been saying it for like, I don't know how long, like, a whole life. He's like, Man, I wanna, I wanna do a spaghetti western, you know, I wanna do a spaghetti western, like, in like some kind of school setting or whatever. And so he, yeah, he brought that to me, and then like, um, and then, I like, it immediately reminded me of just, like, because my first day at college, I bought, like, a tricked-out bike, and then, um, and it got stolen, and I was super pissed off about it, and it inspired me to, like, write this tale about the school being in on it, and everyone trying to fuck me over out of my bike, and, like, I remember that, and that's when I was, like, yo, like, I got my bike stolen when I was in college, you know, and then, like, we're just, like, we put them both together, like you said, and then we both were putting shit on the table to uh, make this tale.
2: We both love genre mashups, and, you know, we both had this huge love and affinity for, you know, own Spaghetti Westerns and, uh, you know, Kurosawa Samurai films, and I think that it was very natural for us to want to translate into something modern. It happened to be that, like, you know, we always wanted to tackle, like, either a high school or college film. Uh, we thought that like you know both were really right to the telling. uh one of our favorite movies, you know, together that uh, we used to watch a lot was uh, was brick and not only is it a fantastic example of a first feature film and using your resources wisely, but it's just a damn good move uh movie and, and it's a damn good genre then um we took a lot of inspiration from that too, and again, we didn't wanna you know when it came to all these movies, we didn't want to just you know write on those coattails, but we wanted to do our own thing. Like, we were very inspired to do that. And um, whereas I think there was a little more of a realistic approach with with Brick, we wanted to jump on the other side of that territory. And we wanted to really paint a different canvas for college that you've ever seen, you know, because for me, when I looked at college, you know, it was just like, it's always in the National Lampoon movies, you know, like, I, I can't think of a college movie without like a big, you know, pair of breasts or just like a bunch of booze or like, you know, like, John Belushi at the front of the cover. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like that's usually what you see. And, you know, that's fine, all. And those movies have, um, you know, garnered such a, a huge, like, you know, a huge, like, idea of the college film, you know, down to like Van Wilder, right? But we really wanted to tackle it in a different way because we saw there's so many different things going on on college campuses, especially up to today's world where, like, they, this subject had to be tackled, but it didn't necessarily have to be tackled. Straightforward, like you know, necessarily like a like a, a true docu you know style film. Like the, there's these issues, but you also want to you want to you want to have that popcorn flip. You, you want to enjoy what you're watching. You want to challenge it. And you want to tell in a way that's not going to feel preachy per se. And so we saw this as an avenue to do an action film, right? We had to get we get our spaghetti western. We had to have our cake and eat it too, and we'd have really fun. Uh, with a genre really fun with the setting and we get to also you know sprinkle in elements of college that not everyone talks or uh, thinks about in a film but need to be tackled and so that was kind of our beautiful way of being able to wrap up all that stuff in the one pretty bow and uh do something a little bit crazy for our first feature
0: short films are very difficult very, very tough to make. There's no doubt about that. But to jump from that to a feature, I mean, that's a whole other ball game.
2: This project would have been shelved for a rainy day had it not been for one crazy pitch. I was out of college, and me and me and Bomani are both out of school. And we, the natural progression was, we knew we needed to tackle a feature, and we actually um, went out for another project, and we knew that like feature is next. So the idea of a feature attacking that was the big, that was the mountain ahead of us, right? No matter what it was. And, um, you know, I always told him I had this love and affinity to develop Rock City Pro, but I think that just part of our naivety out of school and our, our, you know, our, just our fears of what is accepted now, because, you know, every one of our colleagues was looking to do a feature. We're just like, man, what, it's always about what makes your idea special enough for someone to green like this, you know? And I, I know personally in mind, I was just like, man, no one in their right mind is going <laughs> to Greenlight, a film that is a spaghetti western in a college thing. Like, no one, like, I can't, I just couldn't fathom the idea of going to a pitch meeting and like people be like, that's a good idea. You know, like, I, I, I thought it was cool. My wife thought it was cool. Everyone I talked to thought it was cool, but I thought it was like one of those niche things that you just like, you know, you talk about with a friend and it's, it's one of those rainy day things. if I had enough money sometimes saved up, I could personally make this film. Well, it happens to be that um, I, I, I were able to grab a manager out of school, and um, we we start going on uh, like pitch meetings, and uh, I start getting in the office to different places, and then one of them is with this uh, production company called Super Gravity. And I go in there and I actually go in for a different script, and we you know it was wasn't a script that worked out for us, but um, they kept their eye on me, and, and in the meantime, you know, me and Bomani kept busy doing like other shorts and, and so forth, and. Uh we went out to uh they, they actually hit me up again and we went we went out to talk, we went out to the lunch just to talk and they said, Hey, listen, like we really like your shorts and so forth. Um, we're looking, you know, we're looking to get into features and you know, this is gonna be a little bit lower budget, but we would like to talk to you about doing a feature film. Do you have any ideas that could fit within X amount of dollars? And, you know, hearing that amount, I was just like, Okay, that's tight, but you know what? Like this is awesome. Like someone's coming to me and saying, Hey, like, let's make a feature. So I basically just told him, give me the weekend, you know? <laughs> and over that weekend, I was like sitting down with Romani and other people. And I was just like, Oh my like, crazy. I was just like, I was trying to think really hard about contained ideas. I was thinking like, all right, like for this amount, it's, it's gotta be smart for filmmakers to make essentially like, you know, their, Phone booth. We're just like it's like one actor uh, in a contained space and to figure out the cheapest way possible doing this. Of course, I have these ideas, but when I go into the pitch meeting, the only one that can come to mind, the only one I feel like I can really talk about is, is Rocksteady Row. And so after all this effort over the weekend, they say, well, let's talk about ideas because it's a couple. I save these other ideas for last, and I start with Rocksteady Row, and of course, I give it my full passion because it's the actual thing I really want to do. It's burning in my heart. And so I pitched it to them with all the fibers in my body. And the looks in the room were so great. There was huge smiles. There was laughs that people were getting it. And I, they literally told me, we don't want to hear the other ideas. We want to do this one. So I walked out of that office that day with a huge grin on my face because it was like, fuck yeah, we're we'll going to make this movie. But then I also paused and felt like my my heart was palpitating. I was like, oh shit, we actually have to make this movie now. <laughs> So the first thing I did was call Bomani. I was just like, Bomani, time to get to work. It was kind of, one of those, it's like a scene from Men in Black where people put on sunglasses. And it's just like, there's no fucking around now. Like, we're, we're in it. We, there's no getting out. So, um, <laughs> and we I had, definitely made that look good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> we went to work and Bomani can it, but he had the script knocked out in a
0: month. What's the timeline on this? When is this pitch meeting that you're having? This is around
2: February or March. I think, sorry, March of 2016. And Bomani had a finished script by April 2016, and we went into production
0: that following September. And how do you gather your crew? I mean, by this time, I imagine after doing all this work, you guys have a pretty good network of people that you can rely on for this.
2: That's where I mean, honestly, I, I count my blessings every single day. Uh, to be completely frank with you, we both have accumulated an amazing team, not only starting from you know our grounds and resins where he grew up, but from where Bomani went to USC, and then uh, from my people at, at Chapman. During that time, like we had the the distinct honor of meeting so many, so many awesome people. I mean, I, I call it the family, just because like of my entire time at Chapman, like of all the cool things I got to experience, all the great faculty, all the great times and facilities. Like it was the people that made my experience worth, you know, literally everything my cinematographer, my sound designer, um, you know, uh, all the crew, (laughs) 90, 95% of our entire crew was all based off that family from Chapman. It was an opportunity that was really cool because we got to take everyone right out of graduation and put them to work that we know, you know, as many as we could. And that includes a lot of the actors too. I mean, um, my lead actor, Heston, also went to school with me, and I got to do many projects with A lot of my actors uh, as well, also from Chapman. We pulled selects. There's only a handful of people cast-wise and very few crew that uh, did not go to school, to the school whatsoever, but everyone else was coming hot off that boat. It was, it's something that was very unique about us that we were very, very mom and pop in that sense, and I don't think the project would have been able to be done any other way because of our limitations. Um, it was the people that stepped up to the plate and really, really came to bat, um, for the team. But, you know, I, I don't take it lightly that they, they stepped in and did favors for me too. And it, it was because of that, that we were able to make it happen. And like, I literally cannot stress enough. I cannot be more eternally grateful for those people. Um, they're the ones that made Rocksteady Row happen.
0: So many smaller budget films, live or die by the performances you know you can have a great crew great look to it all this kind of stuff then you get that one dingbat who just can't deliver their lines properly and just the whole movie crumbles like a house of cards that is not the case with Rocksteady row and you mentioned heston i'm curious about the rest of the cast for this because they are just phenomenal everybody is on their a-game for this well that means a lot thank you mike thank you um Casting was so much fun. So, like I said,
2: like there was, you know, um, Heston and Pasta, you know, we had uh, pulled a lot of people from people we worked with before. But for our newcomers, the casting was uh, a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do our first chemistry reads and to get people in the room. When we first saw um, Diamond uh, for Piper, I mean, like, we just, it was kind of an instant match. She brought so much bravado and personality um, sort of rolled that like, you know, feeling really She was the voice of rock steady row and like, you know, being like that, that journalist, like we had to have someone who just like had that, that fireball spirit and energy. And the first reading she had with, with Heston when they came in, I just remember like, I, I sent it. I don't know if them the will be there with me that day, but I sent him over that video and he just like had this huge, huge smile on his face. It's like, yeah, like she's right. And, um, she was one of our first, uh, first casting calls that we made. And then, um, I was, I thought I had, I was going through a different, like, you know, um, thought of like the, the visual of Andrew Palmer's character until Logan Huffman walked into the room and like, he brought a com- combination of like menace and, uh, car salesman, uh, to Andrew Palmer. That was so great. Like you couldn't take your eyes off of him. Um, his eyes are so captivating. He was very seducive with his take on on Palmer. And, um, you know, he brought such a unique touch that, like, when he first read in that room, I was just like, man, this has to be Palmer. This has to be him. And when I put him in the reading with, with, um, you know, with Heston and I got to show him to everyone else, like, everyone agreed, like, you know, he was the loose cannon on set. And I needed that so bad. And he he brought so much fire to the game. And so to counteract that, we need someone that was cool as ice, someone that was calculated and cool for Augustus. And once we found Isaac, um, we had a really good matchup because once we put them together in the room, there was a lot of tension. And they they built up a lot of tension really quickly. And it's like they had a natural, uh, they were able to build like a fake, like natural, like rivalry and like a really good chemistry together. And I mean, when we first got on set, like it was, it was like fireworks too. I remember the first time we filmed with them, I was just like, oh crap. Like we, we picked two amazing villains to counteract each other. And, uh, you know, we had, we had someone who just like, you never knew what their next step was going to be. And then you had another, you know, with Augustus, you had someone who just felt like they calculated every single move five steps ahead of them. Um, and so between just starting off with that, like we already had like, you know, a great start. And then, uh, bringing in, um, Allie for a vet, she brought uh, so much heart to a role that really needed it, especially with like the turn, uh, I have in, in all of our sorority gals. Um, you know, when we brought in that team, like it was so cool to bring them on set and have them bring so much flair because that was such a huge part of the ending that we wanted to change that we saw in Fistful of Dollars was like, we always have this, you know, damsel in distress that, you know, is saved by the Clint Eastwood character and um, rides off, you know. And, you know, we're not trying to diss on those films. We love those, like we said, with all of our heart. But times have changed and and, uh, we need to spin stuff on head. And although we're taking the main exoskeleton catalyst of, like, what these films are, we knew that we wanted the damsel to do some ass-kicking herself, especially in this case, especially with what she's going through. So, you know, having that turnaround at the end and having it be that, like not only the damsel herself, but a whole squadron of representation of this lost sorority to come in and not only save our main character, but come in and do the final ass weapon was a huge part of the script. And so we had to have the right representation. We had to have, we had to have, you know, actresses who could really bring the fire and uh, each and every one of these guys, like did fucking awesome. And it was so much fun with them on set. the the fight that final fight was one of the first things we filmed on location, and we had such a fun time. I mean when I, when I brought the paddle and the said man eater, they just grabbed. they like, "Yeah, let's go!" Like, and it was it was so cool to have that fire and energy coming into set, you know, because um, you know, like they they were they they didn't question like you know what the script was. They were just they, they read the script. They're just like, "I get this. Let's do it. Let's get on the set right now. Let's go." And to have an entire cast that was down for the cause for such uh you know for us felt like such a crazy idea you know one to pull off but two to even show it was really special i mean it was really special and i, I can attest for my mind that it was really cool to have people start you know speaking out the words and actually you know get into the story
1: yeah <laughs> there's not much more to say about that you know because like they did such a fantastic job of bringing things to life that i hadn't even like perceived you know because you write it and then like you know you you see it a certain way or not like not a certain way it's like I I feel like I do a good job like when I write like I'm willing to let it go you know it's like because you I, I believe in like the process of people coming in and um taking it and like you know standing on what you're doing to make it better you know the actors and actresses like uh for sure like took it to a whole new level you know
0: I don't want to sound trite or anything, but I have to ask about the hair. The hairstyles of Isaac and and Logan are just amazing. They're hypnotizing.
1: I definitely wrote that into the (laughs) script because I have like a, I don't know. I mean, it it definitely comes from something personal for me because like my family, uh, like literally everyone in my family, like they all just had afros (laughs) like my whole life. And I always, like, looked up to their afros even as a child and was just, like, I have to get an afro that's perfect like theirs, you know, and, like, Stein's, you know. And, like, I could never get my afro to be as, like, perfect as their, like, 70s, 60s, like, afros that they have. There's even, like, this giant picture of my dad at his graduation, and he has this afro that's just, like, <laughs> that's great. And so, like, I would always try to do it, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> so, but... Um, that's where like Isaac's come from. And like, um, as far as like Andrew Palmer, it was just like, I don't know, like being at college, uh, there's just like these kids who (laughs) were like, I visited this frat during the first week and like, I don't know what it was about the kids with like that shaggy ass hair, but like, you know, it's like there were a bunch of just uh, weirdos or whatever that had that kind of hair. And so he kind of inspired that.
2: Yeah, it's funny. a huge inspiration for uh, for Logan, play played Andrew Palmer uh, himself, was uh, was Tom Cruise, like that risky business guy, you know? And I really liked that approach to it because he really brought like what still is today, you know, very considered very fratty, but he brought that classic frat too, you know. Um, and I thought that was a really good inspiration for him to
0: take. I have to ask about the casting of Larry Miller and Tom McLaughlin. It was great to see those guys show up. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that has a huge place in my heart because
2: um, I'm fans of both of them. But Tom McLaughlin actually, we met because he's an um, adjunct a professor uh, over at Chapman University. We were introduced um, towards my later half of, uh, of Chapman, and we became fast friends, and he became a huge mentor. We actually worked together after, after school. I um, was able to shoot a music video for him uh, just because we, we had to work together on that stuff. And, you know, he is a rock star as much as he is a professor as much as he is a film director as much as he is all the millions of things he is uh so you know we we'd worked on that together and then when it came around time for this i told him like please i gotta give you a cameo i gotta give you a cameo and it's gotta be like the gravekeeper you know of like fiscal dollars uh or just like you know very mysterious you don't know how long he's been here and we were able to play with the idea i mean like we had earlier drafts of this where like you know we went more into like that he was a student himself, but he got so far in debt, he was never able to escape. So that's why he's a jam. Like he's basically been chained to his college ever since because of debt, you know, we had so many different versions of that script, but this character is that's very important to me. Is kind of like, you know, the person who's always been there, you know, the, the, the eye on rock steady you know, someone who goes in and out I and mean, is you know, this character that works just like, um, the Graveskeeper in Fistful of Dollars, you know, and there's so much mythos around that. And the added, you know, of course, the added spin on that coming that like in Rock City Row, that he's the thing that kind of takes over that, that being slot at the end. He's kind of the, you know, the way of showing that the school is going in a better direction, you know, that there's power to the people. And, um, and of course, Tom was, you know, was brought in with, uh, with open arms. Um, and he was so excited to be on set as much as we were excited to have him. So it was, it was really special to us. It was really cool to have him be a part of this project. Um, and, as Larry Miller goes, that was, that was really cool for us. I know that, you know, we we're, we were coming time to catch a Dean, you know, like um, we wanted to get someone of a bigger stature in there. And, um, you know, they were starting to send over like lists of people that we could try and reach out to. And, you know, that, that list was very impressive. And it was very, you know, all those people in there had their own merit, but when they pointed out Larry Miller, I was like, you guys got to stop, stop every phone call I make right now and get get Larry Miller on board and, you know he was he was the guy he was the guy that you know had to come in and play this because I grew up seeing him in such a um, multitude of things you know from from Seinfeld the best in show and I was just a huge fan of him, he's always made me crack up so much um, I just think that like his his dryness his sense of humor is has been so great in film so you know I was very curious to meet him in person of course, comes around time to bring him on the set, and he's not lost it whatsoever. He has every ounce of this dryness to him. It's so great. I mean, he was so warm and welcome to all the cast and crew. But the things he brought, oh my god, he he was the person that I, I was able to let go off the book the most because, like, he just brought so much, like so much. I literally, that was the hardest thing in the cutting room was uh, him and Hestings back and forth in the dean's office. Because he had like so many, so many good quips that just like went off the cuff, um, that it made editing a bit of a challenge because like there was a lot of stuff, and we had different things to go to. We go for things that were off the book, funny things that are more you know sincere, and like um, we we found that balance and like we finally got what we wanted. But he gave, I mean, we had like. Probably at least two or three hours, I feel like, with the footage of just like hilarious stuff from him. We, we, you know, we calculated a whole day for that because it was so important for us to have him on board and to get us in there. And he brought, he brought the fire, you know, and he he brought everything that was Larry Miller. And I was very appreciative to have him on it.
0: Those kind of stylized scenes with like the red and the blue, and where we just have our main actor kind of working behind the scenes, were those pieces in the script and also the animated sequences were those written in the way that they are in the final film
1: um so the animated uh the animated intro happened a little bit after like the script always had like a um like on the front page i wrote like a i don't want to call it a poem but just like some kind of weird intro about like students can't like students this can't a bunch of stuff about being in school and those like but you can't survive it um without dying, you know, because, like, I felt like it was really important to, like, set the tone, you know, because we're about to do some crazy-ass shit, you know? Um, But the uh, animated sequence came in a little bit after we shot, you know, and, like, we had never, you know, because I had just put it on the front page of the script to set the tone, but it was never, like, a thing to, like, necessarily shoot, and then after the movie was done, and you know, and we saw first cut, you know, we were kind of, like, uh we really felt that was like, uh, I didn't realize how crucial that, you know, that was, you know, it's like, and so um, Trevor was like, can you write up like a, um, uh, like an intro prologue thing, you know what I mean, that, um, that we can kind of go over like the history of this shit, you know, and I was just like, uh, yeah, and so like, I wrote up, you know, so I wrote up this, uh, this prologue and or this you know the animation season that you see, and I was like, I wrote that up, and then Trevor talked to his animation friend, and she kind of just like and uh, they talked about the animation style, and they put that uh and they kind of put it to work
2: uh-huh. well i was I was very lucky in the fact this is trevor's I was very lucky in the fact that bomani uh never left um he was always part of the process down to like uh, our very, very last um you know assembly of the film putting together and and spinning it out. And with that said, you know, like I was always uh, always there to always had him there to take a look at the cut and not only give suggestions and, and look at stuff, but, you know, when we had to do any miscellaneous, you know, voiceover or prologue or ending bit or anything that needed to be changed, you know, he was there to consult with and to look over things. Um, And we were able to hash that stuff out together because his entire process from start to finish was always us just, you know being able to collaborate and work together and to, you know, really come up with what's best for the story because this is a brainchild of both of ours, you know, equally. Um, And so once he wrote stuff out, I, uh, the, the animator friend who he's talking about uh, her name is Lisa Wu uh, and she is a phenomenal animator. And um, she also went to Chapman and we got to, you know, meet there. And um, I got to check out her, animated work. Um, and it was just phenomenal. Um, you know, her short film was, was amazing in college and I was very lucky enough to bring her on to different projects, but, um, this one specifically, you know, was very important. And she brought such a unique flavor with her style that felt almost like a fairy tale you know, like a, like a storybook, um, that we were able to open and close the story with. And that was so important because we, you know, we were discussing um, after we had the first uh, few cuts of the film, I me and Mulani were able to show it and, and look at it and be like, okay, we essentially made like a Star Wars new hope without showing any planets. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is like, imagine if you will, like the first Star Wars and you don't know anything about Star Wars. And, you know, you don't have that establishing crawl or the first shot of planets in the space. You just start with like Luke walking in the desert. I think about it. If you didn't have that, you'd probably think like, where the hell is this? Is this in Arizona? You know, you don't, you don't know quite where it is. You know, you can't quite jump in the universe. It takes you a hot second. And we realized, you know, as far fetched as it sounds for us to compare our film with Star Wars, that like it's not too far different in the sense that we are asking the audience to follow us into a journey into a very, very different and um, metaphorical take on a setting that they actually are already aware of. Uh, you know what I mean? Like the first, the first moment of the film, we kill off uh, a college freshman with a pencil to the neck. So people are either with us or they're not, you know what I mean? And we knew that. And so to really, really hone all that in these, it was one of those things where after we showed the cut, and we already had what was laid out. Me and Bomani quickly realized, okay, we need to, we need to have a little bit more of an open, like, you know, written invitation for people to come into City, or uh, City University. And so that was where the idea for the prologue and the ending and a lot of the um, voiceover bits came into play. And so you know, me and Bomani sat down and Bomani pinned them out, and we we worked on them together. And that was so fortunate. You know, like it wasn't like I was left well, to my own accord with this. Like me and Bomani were able to stick together through this whole process, and that was huge. And um, and Lisa was a huge part of that as well. And she brought you know basically whatever we were spitting out of her um, you know in the word the wordsmith table, she would look at it and be like, all right, like boom, here's how we can do this, treasure this and this and now it was a nice working ground with, you know, me and Lisa hashing it out and figuring out what the visuals were to match. And at the end of the day we got what um you see now in the film, which is, you know, that opening and close. You know, although we knew we wanted a um you know a victory, if you will, for everybody, including the janitor, the jander actually taking over the Dean spot was actually something that was set up um in post production, not not in pre. Hmm. Um, so that was something that was, that was actually shot after the fact. So we had to go back
0: and, and shoot that. Tell me about the setting because the set is just incredible. Did you find that?
2: Yeah. So, so kudos, our, yeah. Well, kudos <laughs> to our producer Gia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, she is the one that found it. Originally we were going to look at doing like, um, essentially a high school that felt a little more like a prison and shoot it in that regard. But Gia had other thoughts up her sleeves, and she actually um, found this abandoned military fort from the 1950s uh, up in North California, Monterey Bay. And I was kicking and screaming the entire way. I was just like, I don't think it'll work. it would be too far-fetched this. And she she and I did a uh, road trip over there. And it was one of those things where, like, I think she kept looking at me, and I slowly was breaking by every minute that went by, I was like, well, you know. And I was like, kind of like all right, all right. I see your point. And, um, and we took a lot of pictures there. We showed them to people and, and everyone who took a look at it was just like, what the hell is this place? Like, what is it, you know? And it was those looks that really like finally like nailed the nail in the coffin for me. I was just like, okay, like we got to look at this completely differently. You know, we can't look at this as like a small stretch. We need to really, if we're going to do this, We're gonna go into full John Carpenter on this movie, and like completely, completely dive into the fact that this is a campus that is super metaphorical. The windows are broken. You know, you walk down, you're really scared for your life as the fog rolls in. Like we wanted to go like full ham, Escape from New York. Like this is a desolate, uh, abandoned-looking college, and really drive that. Um, So it did. It didn't change anything necessarily script-wise, but it did change our approach and how we, we went with it. You know, it wasn't like this was kind of like under the surface. It was something that was like, you know, Rugrats where it's like it's happening, but you kind of could see past it. This is like, this is a whole different universe. This is something where we imagine that, this, that maybe there's no college anywhere else. This is the one college in the entire United States, maybe let alone the world, you know, and th- th- this this college represents all the colleges everywhere. And, um, you know, we wanted to feel like somewhere that you had to go, <laughs> you know, like you're going to get dropped off and it's the survival of the fittest. And, you know, although that's far-fetched, we we, we know that it can feel that way to a lot of people. You know, the, the idea of, you know, your first days on college, all the tropes that you see there, um, all the things that happen, all the behind the scenes, uh, all the scuff marks and down to like even leaving with uh, the debt. In, and there's not one person I know that has not been affected in some way, shape or form by college debt. So, for me, you know, yes, it was far fetched, but it was also, it was so appropriate. You know what I mean? It was so appropriate. Um, and we weren't sure if we were heading the direction of John Carpenter or Mel Brooks at that point, but we knew that, like, we gotta, we gotta bite it and we gotta go with it.
0: Well, you mentioned John Carpenter, and one of the biggest things that I always get from his movies is the music. Can you tell me about the score for the film?
2: Our composer is Josh Mosley. Um, he is the man. So, a little bit of backstory on him. He's actually uh, brothers with an actor uh, who's also in Rock City Row, who I collaborate with a lot. His name is Jordan Mosley, and he was the lead in multiple uh, short films that I've done, and I work with him very frequently. Uh, him and Heston kind of like a, a duo that I I work with um, very regularly, and uh, of course I had to give him a part. You know, in Rock City, I, I, it's one of those things where like they're kind of like the Joseph Gordon-Gordon Levitt, you know, to Ryan Johnson, where it's just like even if like even if, like, this time around, like, the film is not, like, their starring role, like, they're gonna have some sort of role. I think, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was, like, a stormtrooper in Star Wars. <laughs> you know, so it's just, like, you know, it's gotta happen. So I always always have that. But uh, Jordan introduced me to his brother a while back uh, after I completed uh, another short film. He just said, hey, you know, you guys need to link up and talk. And I remember being very wary because I love offbeat, like, score. You know, I don't really like traditional stuff whatsoever. Like, some of my biggest inspirations, you know, um, past Ennio Morricone, you know, like, um, Daniel Pemberton is a huge, uh, huge reference there. And also, you know, John Carpenter himself. Um, and also, um, uh, the score for Punch Truck Love, uh, Paul Thomas' Punch Truck Love was a huge reference for me in not only this film, but another film. But, um, I just, I love offbeat scores. I love scores that incorporate different types of like timbres with their instruments for like, you know, you're not just getting the classic, you know, violin of this. You're, so you're doing something really crazy and, um, incorporating the space, if you will. You're actually taking elements of the film and you're using that as either percussion or use it in some weird way. And, and again, brick again was a huge reference to that too with Nathan Johnson's score. So, you know, it came time for this, like, you know, I was shopping around, I was looking at different composers, I was looking at different people, I was even looking at different, like, just like, you know, bands of people, I knew. I was stretching everywhere, uh, and I met a lot of great people, and people that brought so many new, unique things that, you know, are, they're all talented in their own way, but I just, I, I, it was like that scene from Back to the Future, where the guy's just like, you know that sound you've been looking for? That's what it was like, I just like, when I finally heard it, I knew. And so, you know, I was talking with Josh, but I, I give him, I felt like so protective. I felt like, you know, I was, uh, I felt like I was a father growing his daughter's boyfriend for the very first time. I was just like, well, listen, you know, <laughs> like I want to work together, but it's like, I, I want to be very, you know, clear that like, you know, I need to hear, I need to hear something first and I, I want to do this and this. And I gave a huge laundry list. And the thing that was so cool, the thing I will never forget, the thing that's so special about working with Josh is that the day wasn't even over after saying that. It was later that evening. And I get a demo um, and he takes every single note. And I gave a lot of crazy notes. Mind I mean, I gave notes that should have been wary to like a composer. And he he took all those notes. He took all this this craziness that he, he basically he took um, pencils and desks and he made percussion out of them. He took bike gears. He took all the elements of our film just off of word of mouth and me talk about it in that line. And um, he even incorporated like he had his, you know, his kids, you know, like helping out and like, Lily, he created this so unique demo, like the end of pieces of end up um being used for one bit of our score in the final run. But he created this demo, he sent over to me and oh my God, I was glowing after I heard it. I was glowing. I was, it, was, it was that feeling of Back to the Future being like, this is the sound I'm looking for. And I knew dead on, right on the spot, right at that moment that like, it was Josh or Bust It had to be in. And his work ethic, his ability to just come up with that so quickly and his willingness to collaborate and experiment. And he was he's such a collaborative person. I mean, I I, he he the whole time, you know, it was it was never about like, you know, it was never about egos. It was always about like what serves the film best. And he served it to the absolute best of his ability. And I was so honored to work with him on this project. I mean, he nailed it. And of course, you know, the references I gave him sprawled from John Carpenter. To you know the you know, spaghetti westerns of past, but I was very I was very careful in that because you know I think you know what I'm talking about when I say there's a lot of redone spaghetti western like soundalikes that are kind of typical like electric guitar like you know and I did not want that we didn't want that you know that copycat feel we wanted to do something unique um, and so I gave them all these references and, and one reference even ended up being um, uh, scores that I, I knew as a kid from Super Nintendo games which sounds very bizarre but along the big list of like classic films that I sent him, I also sent him even video game references and he was able to like take away what I was trying to, you know, implore him to take away, you know, in terms of what our score sounds like, what it feels like, um, what we walk away with. And he brought it all in. And what he came up with was something that I was very proud of. I was very, I thought it was very unique for our film and it created something that was a mixture of, um, uh mixture of synth and also real instruments to create a very offbeat and unsettling world which i again was a huge reference back to the films of you know the 1980s and 90s and in John Carpenter in particular um in terms of like the the characters themselves you know he found something that worked for each in their own like Leroy just like the samurai and like the gunslinger and like the, the prior movies, fistful dollars and your Zimbo, he's kind of an enigma. He kind of comes out of nowhere. And so for us, our way of doing that was that his style kind of didn't have a sense of time. Like he's armed with a Walkman, you know, and his clothing seems like it could be anywhere from like the 1980s, nineties, or, you know, early two thousands. So you're not sure where he's coming from. He's kind of like this, um, you know, mysterious character. And so his, his uh, score fit that. You know, it had a mix of like that Walkman electronic vibe um, and like that, you know, hero quality, whereas Palmer was a lot more um, tones and sounds and uh, the mixture of pencil against like, you know, a desk and, and bike gears because of the bike, uh, the bike um, bike ring going on. And uh, Augustus was probably the only character to be scored more traditionally where he had the violin because his was based off of a waltz, right? Because everything in society is very calculated you know, when they turn their heads left, they all turn it to the left, you know, like everything with them is very calculated. So it was this, you know, like everything was sounded very particular, uh, and very sharp, uh, and very organized. And that's something that was huge for us that every time they're on the screen, that they have this, the waltz, we have the society waltz. Uh, and so, you know, that was a starting point, but going off of there, we could, everything kind of fit the nature of its character, you know? Um, If they were a wild card, they had a little bit more of a free-flowing score. And if they were a little more organized, that had changed. So Josh was able to incorporate that you know, after seeing like the cut of the film and able to bring something that I thought was really
0: unique. So many times when I talk to filmmakers, the phrase that comes to mind is about killing your darling. So it's usually a favorite scene, a favorite bit that ended up on the cutting room floor that just had to go to match, you know, to, so that the film flowed, so that everything worked. And I'm curious for both of you, especially Bomani, because, you know, there you are at the beginning stages writing all of this stuff. What were some of those darlings that you had to kill?
1: There's a scene with when Piper is grilling all the people, and she wants them to, like, read her paper, basically. And, you know, she there's a rant that she goes on where she talks about um, hardback cover books and paperback cover books. And like I worked really hard to make that uh monologue stick and then Trevor cut it out and every ever since I was just like, you know, you gotta put that uh that monologue back in now that we shaved uh two minutes out of the movie, we could put that back in now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um uh so like that was definitely like uh that was a darling for me. Um it was something, uh, that like
2: yeah. Yeah, the indication, I, our film started out at an hour and 32 minutes and it uh, got cut down to an hour and 15. So if that gives you any indication of stuff that was cut out. There's a good chunk. And, um, you know, we all feel it is for the best because in our test screenings, you know, these were things that were pointed out by multiple people that like, they're just not working or like the, the side plots aren't, you know, working the way they should. So we really narrowed down and, and made it very slim. Uh, and got right to like no bullshit we got right to business um and honestly you know like the scene that Bumani is talking about there was Bumani had a lot of a lot of sections where he's able to elaborate on the universe itself and I really wish that we did uh get to keep some in there but at the same time past keeping it I wish we had the full budget and time to really explore a lot of that like it, there there is definitely the uh more expensive version of this film where we get to see the comings and goings of how like the ramen noodle trade go and so forth, you know, and I think that, um, that's a whole different thing that would have been interesting to explore. I just think that with the type of film that we had and the budget we had, it was smarter for us to really focus purely on what needed to be focused on. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it wouldn't, not to say that would matter, you know, any story it doesn't matter how big the budget is. You, you want to get right to the meat, you know, you don't want any bullshit, but I guess in some, in some Chances you have the opportunity to lavish on stuff and have a little more fun and play um when you have the spectacle yeah um, and and doing that was rough on a on a shoestring budget,
1: yeah um, yeah, and uh, the one of the other things I used in that was like I had written the scene um where it's like um and it has to, it's during that piper scene where it kind of goes through the uh the ins and outs of like how. Um, ramen for the students is like a use for trade and stuff like that. And how like Piper's like holding it hostage and now everyone's starving until she gets them to like read the, the newspapers and stuff like that. And there was kind of just like this elaborate delving into all of that. And
2: then, you know, it's like we just kind
1: of had to leave it on the
2: cutting room floor. There was a whole language that mind developed. You know, there was like a runner, right? There's like one person each week that was the person forced to go out and get the ramen and come back. You know what I mean? And sometimes they didn't come back. It's like that type of thing, you know. Like there's a whole, there's a whole universe and a whole scape of here that like could have been explored, and um, there's reoccurring, you know, freshman characters that just constantly got fucked over. That, you know, we we showed in the film, but there was so much more where they just got screwed over. You know, there's a um, a character that loses their bike, you know, more than a couple times. There was even more, if you can believe it. There's even more scenes where we show him getting his bike taken. And the idea is that like we wanted a lot of repeat jokes where like this this you know freshman um other than our main character constantly is getting his bike. Every time he buys a new bike, he always gets it stolen again. Like he goes to like five bikes in the film or something like that. You know, and we, we cut that down a little bit too. We we like to paint all these things going on. And again, a huge inspiration for us is West Anderson in terms of like always always having stuff going on in the backgrounds and the sides. And we like that. We like developing that, you know, for a Universe of Crazy, we really like building that that world. But You know, at some point, you got to have it there to help, you know, explain the universe and have have people have fun with the universe and and get what's going on. But at the end of the day, people really just want to focus on your main character and what they're doing and and getting to that goal. You know, Um, and so that's where we trimmed down. We we turned down anything that did not have to do almost directly with our character. So it's like a lot of um, world
1: building was was what was like axed and uh it's weird because the one in uh when trevor brought up the um like
0: some of the stuff i was like oh yeah i forgot like i put that in the (laughs) cigar. maybe it wasn't your darling
1: yeah right yeah because that's what i was just about to say i was like even though all the other stuff that got cut was like world building shit i was like the part that hurt the most was like my my monologue i was like no i was like that hurts. I, was like, I draw the line at the monologue. Not the world building or character building or plot stuff.
0: I was just like, the monologue. Some people equate filmmaking to a little bit like war, especially because you know people grow closer together during that, but there's also because it's a struggle. And I'm curious, what was the biggest hurdle for you guys when you were actually making the movie? What was the toughest thing for you?
2: Every day was a struggle. Like, there was constant things, but the weird thing is, I can think of a few particular stories, but what's more fascinating to me is how fun the struggle was because of the people I was with. You know, I mean, the one the one blessing I feel like I could take away for sure from Rock City is that, like, no matter how many struggles or how many day to day challenges we had, or just keeping afloat budget wise, or you know, the location, you know, like just being uh, up there and everyone being outside the whole time, there was just no complaints. You know, like everyone. Put on like their gorilla hat, you know, the gorilla filmmaking hat, and they just like, they picked up, they rolled the sleeves and picked up um, anything they could and, and, you know, brought to the cars at the end of the day and they powered through and everyone had a huge smile on their face. And the, at the end of almost every day, uh, there was at least like four different people playing musical instruments. You know, I know um, our, our cast member Chris Gurst brought his accordion and several people played guitar and it just it felt like an encampment. You know, I felt like we were there. Just um, it's like we we're there as friends, all hanging out camping, but we happen to be there making a film. So I guess my, my point with that is not to avoid your question. There was definitely struggles. There was definitely oh my god, there was there was uh, bloodshed for sure. Um, there was tears. There was all that stuff. Like all that stuff, there was a war. Do not get me wrong. You know, what I mean, there was a war. Uh, you know, there's there's always drama on set. The the diffused that stuff happened. But what I'm getting at is that like. I'm focusing on the aspect of I feel like if if we were the the colonies here, you know, against the British Empire, that we had the strongest, strongest force possible uh, because morale was super high. And that was the most important thing, you know, that morale was high and that the whole time. It, that's what's nuts to me is that if this was a war, like we had we had the army with the biggest morale because everyone throughout the entire filming down to the last day of filming was so in it to win it you know even when stuff was going wrong it's like when we when we you know lost an actor because they had to get stitches which we have which happened everyone picked up the pieces right away no one no one wavered at all and everyone knew what to do and we just rearranged things and we you know we got what we needed and on top of that that same actor which was Heston our lead actor he came back the same day despite everyone including the safety officer saying like you do not need to do this do not do this he refused and he had to come back on set He, you know, he, he forced his way back on set with stitches. It was that type of thing. You know, people fell down, uh, people got bruised, people got cut up, you know, because like, you know, people do a lot of their own stunts on this and no one bitched, no one moaned. There was no prima donnas. Everyone came in, they played, they played hard and they walked away with something that I think that they were really happy
0: with. Well, tell me once the film is locked. What happens then? Because I know you guys played sand, Slam Dance and won Slam Dance. Congratulations on that! So I'm curious, what was that experience like seeing that with an audience? And was that your premiere, or had you had showings before that?
2: That was our very first premiere. Yeah, that and was our yeah, this is our, our world premiere. Um, that was nerve wracking.
1: Yeah, we me and Trevor sat next
2: to each other in the back, and we were like terrified (laughs) i think i think we thought we knew what it was like to show because with our shorts and so forth you know sitting in a large odd time showing i think we thought we knew after like a handful you know more than a handful worth of like sitting on a screen and watching having people watch your work in short form we thought we knew what this would feel like it felt a million times amplified from that to sit because this was uh, a baby we had for so long you know like, like I said, like, it's not this, like, we, we had a lot of confidence and we, we knew what we wanted, but at the same time, we also didn't know if it would work. You know what I mean? Like, just to be completely transparent and clear, it's just like, when you do something that's crazy, you have no idea how it's going to be perceived, you know? Um, and we, we were hoping that people just got the damn film, let alone enjoyed it. You know what I mean? And, um, and to sit there, slam dance, it was nerve wracking the whole way through, but afterwards to see the reception we got was, Oh, it was, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to give you a reference. It was like eating the best ice cream sundae you've ever had times like 500 million or like, you know, um, it's probably too graphic. So if you need to cut this out, fine. But I'm imagining it's just like, you know, an orgasm on crack, right? Like the feeling of getting to show, um, to show your movie in front of a huge audience that has such a warm receptive uh, reception was, was almost incredible feelings. And it's what we live for and um and that was enough i mean for us we were just like it was cool enough to be there slam dance was a huge inspiration to us you know some of our favorite filmmakers gone there you know like christopher nolan um and like just to be there and have a positive reception and we're like cool story closed but it was even more special to you know last day there um find out that we won not only the audience award but the grand jury prize and um that was huge for us. I mean, it was huge for us, um, you know, as people, as as filmmakers. Also, moving forward, it led us to a lot more opportunity. You know, that you know we're developing, working on now. So it was, it was, it was huge for us. Um, but in terms of the film itself, you know, it, it it opened up a lot more doors for a lot of different vessels to play. And we've been playing for like the past six months. I mean, we've had six months of like an incredible. Festival ride, and we're continuing on, um, next month into, to Fright Fest over in the UK. And then we're finishing up strong, um, here in, uh, Los Angeles on October 7th, um, at the Hollywood Arc So we'll be showing back here. Um, so we've had a really good run. So, you know, the next stages are just seeing this damn movie sold through distribution. So we'll see where that ends up. And being that, you know, being that it is, um, you know, it's, it's a, a lower budget film, you know, and there's not like, you know, uh, besides uh, several members, uh, there's not like a huge A-list names in the cast necessarily. That like distribution won't be. It probably won't. Be, I don't know if it'll be a theatrical release, but what we hope for is like the best possible home, so more eyes can see it. That's what we want. Uh, and of course, it's it, it's people like yourself and and people you know. We've had the pleasure of talking with. Uh, you know, we asked us to help us push this movie out because we want people to see them in the film. We want people to know about us. We want people to know how crazy we are. Um, it's something that we, we want to push out to the the public.
1: Really not a lot of words I can describe, like, how that felt, you know, because, you know, you just don't see it really coming, you know, and, like, I kind of just have this kind of overwhelming feeling of just, like, kind of being grateful, you know, because it's, like, uh, it, it, all this stuff couldn't be happening, you know, and who would have thought, you know, some weird idea that we had, you know, would actually resonate, you
0: know. Um, so that one that in itself is, like, is uh, enough for me you know well neither of you guys seem like you're you just like to sit around and not do a whole lot so i'm curious what are you working on now
1: well we got a couple things in the fire like um, me and trevor have like two we have one thing that we're kind of developing um, uh, an idea that we're developing and then we have um, another project that's like we're hoping goes through it's looking promising Beta. i mean they're both features and they're both kind of moving. Uh, while Rocksteady was shooting, I wrote another script, um, that I, uh, that's kind of floating around that, like, I've had a couple of meetings with that I've opened the doors for, um, okay. other projects that, uh, but I'm also trying to get that script made. We okay. just want to stay in the fire, you know? So.
2: I can tell you that, um, this next, or even either of these two, these next two projects are quite different from Rocksteady in terms of, uh, genre and style for sure. Still retain the heart of who me and Bumani are as, as filmmakers, but we've we've had that pleasure of being able to bounce um, a lot of different styles when we we're working in short form. So I'd say that um, this these projects we're working on are going to be a little bit more closer to our short film run that we did uh, in terms of uh, scope, style, and genre. So that's that's kind of like where we're changing gears for right now. So we're moving a little bit away towards the I guess you could say the crazy uh, slightly comedic action adventure Western and we're moving into back into some, uh, darker territory for sure.
0: Well, where's the best place for people to keep up on the movie. And when it does come out to DVD or streaming or wherever it's going to show up, where's the best place for them to find out?
2: You can always check out our website, uh, www.rocksteadyuniversity.com. Uh, and you can also follow, uh, myself and Bomani uh, through, uh, Vimeo. Um, we'll put up a lot of our, um, our shorter projects on there. You know, we, we, we being, like you said, like we're, we're not sitting around doing stuff. So even when we're in between um, feature products, the ones that we you know we want to get out there uh, in the big scope of things, we're constantly doing shorter projects, um, whether they be passion uh, or so forth. So you can always follow our work there. So anywhere you see hashtag rock city row or anywhere in the yet there that you see that um, just constantly keep your eye out. And if you see us, come say hi at the screening or send us a message either way we'll find you too yeah we'll find you <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounded like yeah. the
2: idea yeah the idea yeah. has been introduced to us to try and do some sort of college tour and like I don't know if that will happen but I feel like that'd be a lot of fun to play this film at different colleges
0: Trevor Mubilani thank you so much for your time today guys this has been a real pleasure talking with you the pleasure yeah the, the pleasure was all are, ours thank you Mike For the taste, do the math. I ain't looking the grades. I'm just looking for grades. Maybe they ain't hooked by the fame. I got a fat ass and a jackass, and i me. How to be their kin? One telling me to eat everything, another one telling me just to feed off them. But I'm foxy in my speech. I'm animalistic, silver tongue in my mouth. The hand of my business, a man of decisions. They give them my ideas, they hand me the They can bribe, they can sweet talk me, give me eyes. They can make me bleed Rearrange my teeth But in the end I'm ready I'm rock, 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 rock steady. <bergame>. <kingdoms> I'm around and they know my deeds, this profound, strategized, scheme, gross, team. But no faith in the postings on the Oaks, unidentified, I can't ghosting. Drive them all crazy, scary like a dog's teeth with the rabies. I take action, bourbon, cause they carry golf with the chiefs and the ladies. They can bribe,
1: they can sweet talk me, give me eyes. They can make me bleed, rearrange my teeth,
0: but in the end I'm ready and rock stand. Rock stand. Rock stand. Rock, stand. rock stand.
2: I'm
0: not studying. I'm not